like to look in a little more detail at, if you like, the alchemy of perception or that, that transition, the process by which, uh, through which, in which we come to sense with soul, uh, sense the world with soul, sense others and things of this world uh, with soul how that transformation of perception actually happens, some of the elements involved in that, how life becomes image. Um, and to give some examples and kind of look at what's going on there. But before I do, um, something occurs to me, or I feel a bit impelled to um, to say, uh, again, something uh, to perhaps reassure you, I don't know if that's needed, but as I said um, in the first talk, I, I feel like um, I'm, I'm treading a little bit of a tightrope um, between, on the one side, wanting to bring in a sense of um, precision and careful discernment uh, and a kind of acuity of uh, and refinement of attention and wisdom in terms of what's involved in all this business of imaginal perception, perceiving, imagining, sensing the soul, etc., on the one hand. And on the other hand, not wanting in, in that sort of careful delineation and uh, examination of uh, what's involved, not wanting, on the other hand, to discourage or make it kind of overly prohibitive or formulaic or too tightly circumscribed. So I really would like you to feel like you can jump in and play and experiment and it doesn't have to be, you know, Am I getting it right? This kind of um, freeze cramp that uh, so often plagues meditators um, and people on different spiritual paths, but especially I find um, the well. In, in in some ways, we teach insight meditation, particularly. Uh, well, I, I seem to encounter that a lot. So I'm really wanting to kind of strike that balance and say a bit more that helps you feel hopefully uh, free in this process, free to play. So pointed out that when we talk about soul making and that whole kind of journey, if you like, or trajectory direction of soul making, that what we're really talking about is um, a dynamic process. Uh, there's a dynamism involved. In fact, there's all kinds of dynamism involved in soul making, so that eros itself is a dynamic movement towards wanting more, etc., or uh, of bringing something towards us and opening to it, whatever. There's a dynamism there. There's a dynamism in uh, what we kind of described as the very soul-making dynamic, the eros psychologos process, the way they get involved with each other, inseminate each other, uh, fill each other out, complicate, enrich, widen, deepen, all that. There's what I mentioned, I think, at the, in the end of the last part of this talk, there's the kind of process involved um, in that soul-making will uh, bring, give birth to uh, dis discernments, discriminations, distinctions, delineations in both our conception and our perception of all kinds of elements of experience, emotional, material, um, sensory, intellectual, you name it, in terms of the logos, the conceptual framework. Um, and the, the very making of some dis 
discernments and distinctions and refinements of delineation also uh, feeds the soul-making process. There's a kind of um, dynamism involved in that, all kinds of dynamism involved in the soul-making movement. And uh, I would say dynamic responsiveness, if you like, the ability to, like we talked about, that hawk kind of gliding on the on the uh, thermal air currents, and the ability to kind of respond to what's happening, to dance with what's happening in 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 the being, in the perception, in the body, uh, in in the totality of that, and uh, move in response to that very. Uh, dynamically, very beautifully. That dynamic responsiveness is also an element of soul making. However, when when I say all that uh, and and imply all that that there's a dynamism involved, what we're talking about is dynamic processes involved in soul making. One also has to consider the time frames of what we're talking about. So if something is dynamic, it can be dynamic, you know, with a, a very sudden dramatic shift of something bursting into consciousness or a sudden change of responsiveness and that's happening in the moment. Or it can be dynamic in a very, uh, kind of very, almost imperceptible way over time to build up a change. Or um, it can be dynamic in stages in the sense we kind of plateau for a while, if you know, if you want to use that word. Um, it's not the best word, but let's say things look relatively static for a while. They're being consolidated. We're steadying with something, and then something suddenly shatters or just gradually changes. So one has to look at the the kind of um, temporal styles uh, or, or, you know, different temporal characteristics of the way uh, change happens. So... um, dynamic response of dynamism doesn't mean that there's always change happening it's always rapid change and we're always like things are always exploding or kind of moving rapidly sometimes it's periods like that and sometimes it's much uh you know characterized by different uh uh what would you like kind uh, what would you call it kind of um uh, trajectories of change or uh, you know uh, there's a word for it graph of change or whatever um so, for example, and I, I did already touch on this, when we talked about the Eros Psyche Logos dynamic in the last part of this talk, um, we said they actually have different uh, lability, if that's the word. They, they're labile in different ways. They're changeable in different ways. Logos um, tends to change more slowly over time. Or, or it's, it, we need to kind of consolidate a conceptual framework or just a new idea, get used to it, over quite some time, usually... And then something might shatter or, or change. Um, or, in time, with practice, there's this ability to shift it quite rapidly, deliberately. So we can say, Logos is involved in sensing with soul. In other words, there's always a concept happening. There's always a conceptual framework being engaged when we're sensing with soul. It's not a non-conceptual experience. But the sort of expansion or stretching or shattering of a, a logos is um, something that's usually kind of more gradual, slower over time. It's less labile as one of the elements in that trinity that uh, than than say eros. Uh, so we already made that point as as an example. Um, you know, then for example, another another example would be we talked about the um, 
the movement, the organic movement, um, if if we're not blocking it, for the soul-making dynamic to sort of spread um, from not just uh, the, the erotically imaginal object or other, but also, so to speak, back towards the self and the elements of the self and also out towards the world. And that what can be very helpful at times is um, kind of attending to that particular trinity there, self, other world, and um, and and just allowing that to be, or encouraging that to be more balanced, the soul-making spreading in a more balanced direction at times. But, but even saying that, it doesn't mean it always needs to be balanced. I always need to make sure that self, other world are equally uh, balanced in this soul-making um, situation to the same, you know, uh, the same degree or intensity of soul-making that's spreading equally in all directions. No, the whole thing is fluid. So sometimes um, we're much more with one of those three, much more than the other two. Um, and it may be that we actually need to dwell more um, with uh, certain poles there, In that, if we just stay with that self-other world um, trinity there. We could add eros to make it a quaternity, self-other world eros, but um, in terms of what becomes, if you like, an object of soul-making, becomes taken up by the soul-making process and becomes an erotic imaginal uh, object for us. Um, but maybe we need to dwell with one of those um, uh, poles, if you like, of that of that pattern. Um, so, for example, um, habitually we might um, not... S- uh, uh, the soul-making process might not come back to ourselves, if you like. We're always, uh, and I've mentioned this before, you know, it's possible to always see the, the divinity, the um, beauty, etc., in the other, in the, in the imaginal object. And, it, and, and habitually, for, for different reasons, it doesn't come back to the self, or we're blocking it coming back to the self, we're just neglecting uh, to look there. And, and through the looking, through the noticing, allowing it to, to um, ignite uh, the self as a erotically imaginal object for ourselves. Um, so that might be a habit, and, and uh, so we might need to linger a little bit with the self as image and stay there and kind of be a bit imbalanced the other way for a while, you know, because it's countering our habit. Or it could be the other way around, that we're... Um, always with the self and we're in situations where we f- forget to kind of see oh, oh what's happening with my perception of the other at the moment and, and letting that become more imaginal so you know in working with different people I see people have different habits here um, and sometimes you know if, if I'm working with them, I need to kind of just gently remind, oh, what about that? Can you notice what's happening there? Ah, yeah, something opens. The water um, spreads in that direction to balance things out, and that helps the whole soul-making process. Um, or it might be, um, for example, that in, in, in the... Um, in the in in the soul making or in the sensing of soul, that we need at times or stages in our practice um, to give more attention to the bodily experience, the energy body experience in what's going on, because that's actually not become something that's just um, uh, kind of second nature to us to notice what's going on with the energy body. So actually, 
to give more attention to that, or we lose touch with that in our sort of fascination, erotic fascination with the other, we go out. Hence the exercises on Tunis, or, or part of the reasons for the exercise on Tunis that we were doing on some of the recent retreats. Um, so we may need to linger more with the energy body and really get used to uh, what it is to pay attention in a way that brings the energy body alive. That can take, that in itself can take months and, and often years. You know, it's really a, a journey for people. Um, it's not, as I've pointed out before, it doesn't just equate with mindfulness of the body. Um, it's a certain, it's a certain, um, it opens up the experience of mindfulness of the body, it opens up the wavelengths of that much more broadly. And again, within that, we may be so used to uh, in attending to the energy body and the energy body experience, our habit may be that it's always very solid. Like we always just it's always just the sensations of the bum on the cushion or the chair or you know very kind of gross level solid level sensations um and we need to get used to and this can take some time the sort of the the much finer uh range of the spectrum um where things are much more kind of ethereal and the sense of the body as a kind of luminous space of uh, refined vibration, or vice versa. That's someone's habitual default, and, and they need to kind of get used to the more solid, earthy kind of uh, sense of the energy body. Or, again, in terms of, um, if you like, energies and... Uh, and body, um, someone might be, for, again for lots of different reasons, um, might be that different kinds of um, uh, resonances and movements and feeling um, energy in, in certain areas of the body, for instance the heart area um, can be very sensitive there, but when it comes to the hips or the kind of sexual energy, it's a bit kind of cut off or it's just a bit frozen or it doesn't fill out there um, and so that might be, there might be a period where that fills, fills out more or again vice versa um, that actually the heart the heart and the whole heartfulness and what, how that uh, movement of emotionality fills out with the energy body is not something that a person is used to attending to um and, and again, just extrapolating from that, maybe within the whole kind of, um, uh, well, I've, I've already said, really just giving, dwelling more with the emotions as as the um, the kind of pole of what one's paying attention to within the whole imaginal constellation. Maybe for some people at certain stages in their practice, really what they lean towards over and over, uh, and that might be very. Um, important as, as, as a kind of growth. Um, or uh, we get the sense of the imaginal and the whole soul-making thing, and, and it's always uh, kind of habitually very nicey-nicey. You know, it's always kind of white-robed angels of light, uh, etc., and very kind of um, ethereal in the texture of the images, etc. And there's less of the dark gods. And... Uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe, over or again, vice versa, it's all a bit dark and filled with dukkha and angst and kind of, uh, or, or dark in, in, in lots of different ways, sexually or whatever. And there needs to be that opening out of the sort of, um, the, uh, the more obviously, um, 
the more tr traditional kind of etheric, beneficent, angelic, light, luminous, refined presences. Um, again, what, what's, what's the habit, what's needed? Um, or, as I've also noticed recently, the whole realm of desire that, you know, for many people, it's actually not okay to have desire. And that can be... Um, a kind of cultural transmission uh, in terms of the wider culture. It can be um, a, an early religious transmission or something in the family or the schooling or in, in the Dharma teaching that even just kind of allowing one's desire and allowing one's eros, if we talk about the opening to the current of desire practice or just the awareness of eros in the imaginal practices, um, that, that, that there might be a period where one's just learning to notice desire, um, actually feel it, what it feels like, and allow it, and be okay with it, and then even um, recognize it as a, as a as a lovely thing and a beautiful thing, and that can increase all the way to sensing it, as I've explained in the Eros Unfettered talks, as sensing it as a divine thing, our desire, it's divine desire. Um, so that might be a whole way that the dynamic needs to, uh, or, or the constellation needs to be kind of weighted um, for some people, maybe for a while, you know. Um, so talked about balance and all these elements, etc. But there's still also the individual kind of um, yes, growth or development of 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 a soul, if you like it, if you if you like uh, uh, as an expression. So what is habit that we need to kind of address? Oh, yeah, that always happens. Always neglect to do this. And it's just a little a little shift or a little shift of attention that allows it to break out of our normal habit. Um, sometimes these habits are not, you know, oh, that's terrible. That's going to take me decades to, you know, it's like it's just a, just a shift. And then, oh, that's moved right there in the moment. I mean, the habit might still be a little bit entrenched, but the actual shifting of it is not such a big deal in a lot of cases. <clears throat> um, or it may be a little more involved. We may need to look at some of the, um, for instance, with the desire thing. Well, what what are, what what are the sort of murky beliefs that I have absorbed from my education, from my culture, from Dharma culture? Sometimes that kind of just block off, uh, make inhibit and disallow my uh, my desire and my kind of celebration of the beauty of that, etc. Even that possibility. So that's the question. What's habit? What does it need? Um, and what is kind of given by soul to me? Um, so it's given that this particular, say, um, complex emotion needs uh, needs lingering with. Um, or this, um, this, say, bandwidth of the energy body uh, um, spectrum needs lingering with. It's given to me by, let's say, it's given to me by soul as part of my... My, my soul making, my soul education. So that becomes what's given by soul and what is purely habit. Um, what is needed here? You know, the, and I'm not saying these are necessarily easy questions, but, but just to have that kind of light inquiry rather than a kind of formulaic approach to, to all this questions of balance and dynamism and what needs to be happening and what should be happening and all that. And then also, what's just a personal soul style, a personal kind of um, way that my soul is, or way that your soul is, and um, that needs respecting. 
You know, some people have um, more darkness in the beautiful sense of the word, beautiful, rich darkness um, than others. And it's part of their soul makeup. Some people do have um, much more facility, let's say, with the ethereal than with the sort of um, denser uh, realms. Um, some people do have just more um, sexual uh, libido and eros than others. And this is all needs to be respected, you know. So what's personal soul style that needs to be respected? What's habit and kind of indoctrination or just uh, incrustation by habit? What is given to me by soul? And what is actually needed? Um, so all, all this, again, very light, very open, playful. Don't be afraid of making mistakes with this. You know, mistakes are, as Miles Davis used to say, uh, I've forgotten what he used to say, but you'll make mistakes, don't fear them. It's not a big deal. A mistake is, again, something to be responded to. Oh, yeah, okay, it's part of the dynamic responsiveness. So, um, you know, I really want to encourage that, that uh, sense of playing and that kind of permission and freedom to, as I said, just dive in and play, you know. And then... Uh, <coughs> Actually, even that I'm going to qualify later, but but let's just say that for now. Um, uh, all this uh, talk of d- dynamism and dynamics has is intimately um, associated with pacing, and and pacing I think uh, was something I talked about if I remember in the path to the imaginal retreat. Again, I know where there's a lot of kind of aspects to all this and information being put out, so it might well have been something you just got lost in the sort of in the amount of um, material being communicated, but pacing with in, in regards to a particular image. How much do I stay with this one image and call it back deliberately, or just let it move on um, in itself, transform, or bring another image in, or look for another image, or, or whatever? So these are questions that I've gone into before. But there's also questions of pacing now we're bringing in relation to these um, elements and this whole um, sense of dynamism itself. You know, how quickly um, do we move through logoi? For instance, this breaking of the vessels that I was have been talking about in several retreats. You know, it's not that vessels can break all the time. We need there needs to be time of building, building vessels, building structures, understanding conceptual frameworks, really absorbing them. Um, digesting them, making them work for us, really getting the, uh, the, 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 the juice out of them, the, the, the mileage out of them, and then maybe there's breaking vessels or stretching or additioning or, or whatever, or questioning. Um, so there's, there's pacing in all this, pacing questions, uh, discernments to make in all this talk of, of dynamism. Uh, with regard to the different elements. And then also, you know, and I say so much, and I I still will continue to say a lot about this business of reification and how important this um, middle way of the imaginal is of of the theatre kind of quality or or element of, of the whole sensing the soul and imaginal. It is more complicated than all that, but I think what I want to, which I will return to, but what I want to say right now is that, look, and I, I said it before, I think it was the end of the re-enchanting retreat, I think. Um, <clears throat> look, um, it is it is a big deal, this reification business, and it, it is often the element that is um, 
kind of at the root of problems that we encounter uh, when we try these practices and, and it feels like, well, I, it kind of exploded or I went into a brick wall or something went wrong or the soul-making is stuck. Um, it is, um, or, or there's, you know, dukkha coming in rather than a kind of uh, opening of the soul-making process um, or things are not kind of fully imagined, authentically imagined in the way that we described in the first talk um, of this series. Um, it is often rare, a, a rarefication that's kind of at the at the root of that, uh, of what's going on there, and one can kind of trace it back and, and see, oh yes, there's, I'm rarefying something or other here, or quite a lot of things. That is the case, and it is really important, but also, um, you know, I I don't want to be, we don't want to be the kind of reification police. Thou shalt not reify is the first command. We don't, you know, it's like, expect to reify. Look, it's a human, um, to me, that's, um, if you like, that goes with the first noble truth. That there is dukkha, dukkha arises, it's like dukkha rests on reification. And so we will do that. We will reify, expect to reify. And... Uh, again, in the context of what I'm trying to say right now, in this little fragment here, is um, don't don't get too hung up on all this. You know, sometimes it's necessary to reify something, and maybe for a while, and there can still be a lot of soul making. Let's say that happens um, in a reified perspective. So it is a big deal, but you don't need to kind of get frozen in this. Oh my! Oh my goodness! What happens if I reify? Or I, uh, so the whole thing gets stuck that way. You know, expect that you will reify. Um, it's it's probably you pro- pro- probably it's quite a maturity to really kind of um, whittle that down so that it, hap- it tends to happen less and less. But you know, it is a big deal. But don't don't kind of get too hung up on it. You know. Um, so we really don't want to be the uh, the reification police with this, and, and we don't want you to be uh, the reification police with respect to yourself. Um, and so just, just finally for right now, you know, um, I feel like kind of whatever I say in all this, trying to make these delineations, trying to say things... Uh, do you see how this is working? It's like this, or or it has this element and 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 not that, or this rather than that, and it must include this. And da, da, da. whatever I say, whatever we say, in kind of trying to um, provide a framework and a platform for all these explorations, um, there, there's going to be exceptions. I'm 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 beginning to think it's like so that there will be possible exceptions. It's more like t- teaching this stuff. I I feel like it's more like teaching art or teaching music it's like yeah it's really important you learn kind of rules of harmony and uh, kind of things to look out for and when you're improvising and different ways you can do thing and do things and did you think about this or you can explore this and don't forget this and and all that but whatever one says as as a teacher i think or whatever whatever one is told as a teacher there are exceptions possible and someone can just um give an example of uh, and you know exactly uh, an exception to what what you've just kind of explained and the opposite of it. That doesn't mean 
though, that um, all that explanation, that delineation, and the exploration of those delineations and those refinements of perception, those concept conceptions and conceptual frameworks, is irrelevant just because there are exceptions. Um, so again, you got, got, I, I feel there's this kind of um, tightrope's too dramatic a, 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 a metaphor, but. Um, but but there's a kind of balance and and a kind of looseness um, with precision that's that's involved in this a, a looseness uh, with a kind of precision of discernment and refinement and attention. So again, all I'm, I'm kind of inserting this fragment at this point just uh, because it occurred to me and because I really uh, I, I want to encourage and not discourage. So I hope that that's helpful. <laughs>